0: Hello, hello, welcome to Angel Lady Movie Talk. This next installment is extremely special as it is the anniversary issue of my anniversary with Dan Moore and Dan Moore happens to be my producing partner. We are Sheridan Film. I'm the Sherry, he is the Dan and we are producing Angel Lady together. Um, My greatest joy is working with you, Dan Moore besides living with you. As is uh, welcome.
1: Mine. As is mine. It's, uh, it's bliss.
0: How about if we launch in and we give people a little bit of your background because not everyone knows of this extraordinary way that you happened into the movie business.
1: As with most people in the movie business, it just happened uh, <laughs> in the, in the least likely of ways. I was a uh, graduate student at Ohio State University. I w- had completed my PhD exams. Mm-hmm. And I was writing my dissertation mm-hmm. about lexical accretion in Ulysses. Okay. And uh, you can imagine I was looking for some alternative way of spending my time, <laughs> as as many dissertation writers do. And it just so happened that a movie came to town. So a bit like the circus coming to town. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the movie, uh was a prison movie mm-hmm. starring robert redford who goes in undercover to find out about abuses uh, and corruption in the prison system based on a true story cool. of, a, of a, a warden in uh, arkansas cool. and they were shooting um near columbus ohio where ohio state was um it's just so happened that uh, a woman from uh, my class at Ohio State, with whom I shared an office. There were about six of us there. And and uh, her husband was a great guy named Patrick Markey, who's gone on to produce a lot of different movies. And, he's, and he said, uh, well, they're looking for local people to help out on making the movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be just great, because like many, many graduate students, I love the movies. Mm-hmm. I love leaving my books behind and going and sitting in a dark room and being transported. And so I said, sure, I'd love to do that. And uh, he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, whatever whatever's available. I don't have any preference. I just (laughs) love to work on the movie. Mm -hmm. So that started to happen. And uh, I was uh, deployed with the costume department. It's a prison movie, so they had a lot of people who needed prison uniforms. And so I I became one of them. And I did whatever I was told because I knew that I didn't know anything. Yeah, Very valuable. To know what you don't know, mm-hmm. and with me that was everything. Mm-hmm. But whatever they told me to do, I did it, uh, and I did it with a smile. And uh, Robert Redford was the star of this movie, and it was pretty exciting. And uh, uh, everything was going fine until the director got fired during the first week of shooting. Wow, that was a that was a bit of a roadblock. And took a little bit of the luster off the the stories I was telling about working on a movie.
0: Because everything stopped. Is that what everything, happened?
1: Everything stopped. Wow. Um, but Twentieth Century Fox knew they had Robert Redford, and they didn't want to let him get away. Right. So they found uh, another director, and he took over. And it was the same. It was Stuart Rosenberg who had directed Cool Hand Luke, which was oh, a right. great prison movie. Great prison. And movie. And they figured, well, he must know how to do this, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, he, and he did. Mm -hmm. so we got started back up again and uh
0: how did you relate to movie stars what did you actually talk to him
1: i was directed to show discretion in my uh dealings with him and my dealings with him were very very minimal right um, because i was as far down on the totem pole as it's possible to get right? but we did we you know i did work on the movie and got to know some other actors and it was a lot of fun it was really i'd never been on anything that it was so exciting to me as working on that movie
0: what did you love about it
1: well what i loved about it was it was making magic uh, you know, everyone it was it was a big operation and everyone had their own little thing to do and uh it was just great to see how it all worked together and yeah. um there was camaraderie and excitement and uh and then we ended up making a pretty good movie
0: yeah
1: and so and when months later when i finally got to see the movie i was I was already hooked, but then I was super hooked when I saw what what had come out of it, and uh, and then what came out of it at the end of the of the shoot was that the uh, the customer who was in charge of the costume department said, you know, would you like would you consider coming to Los Angeles and working with me on my next movie? And of course, uh, I was pretty close to getting my PhD. So it took me almost a minute to decide that I wanted to go to, to Hollywood. It was well, it was under a minute, but it was almost a minute. I wanted to consider it carefully. So it was really pretty exciting. We went, went to Hollywood, and then uh, we had the em- enormous good fortune to work on a western for my first movie, The Long Riders.
0: Long Riders,
1: directed by Walter Hill, and starring the Keach brothers and the Carradine brothers and the Guest brothers and the Quaid brothers. And it was all about Jesse James and Frank James and their uh, and their exploits. Wow! Where did shot, it shoot, and what did you do? Well, I was uh, I I I was the set costumer, which I had had no experience of on my first job. Wow. I figured I could learn it as I went, and the costume the costumer um, seemed to think it would be okay, and he would teach me as we went. the fir- The very first uh, day of shooting. Uh, we were shooting a, a, a stagecoach careening down a hill and then getting to the bottom and, and uh, the James brothers robbing it. Uh-huh. And so I would have to start up at the top of the hill and then kind of like double time it down to the bottom of the hill as, a, as, a, as the scene was being shot and catch up with them down there and i had this bag of materials with me my set bag mm-hmm. with all the things that i needed and uh, up and down the hill up and down the hill all day long until at the end of the day i got back to the costume department and realized that some helpful crew member had put three large rocks in my bag oh no <laughs> so that was that was part of that was part of uh, learning my way
0: but you at but fortunately, you happened into the world of Walter
1: Hill. Well, Walter a, was a big He-Man, and he made big He-Man movies. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's really pretty wonderful to be out there on a Western around all the horses and stuff like that. Even even if a horse occasionally does step on your foot, it's still yeah. okay. And uh, that was just a great, great way to get started because a family atmosphere. All these brothers were playing brothers in the movie. Yeah. and. and uh, Uh, They treated each other like brothers and some of that, um, you know, it was just really an immense, immensely inspiring way to get started. Mm -hmm. I kind of started at the top uh, Mm -hmm. through no fault of my own. And, uh, but it was, it was a really, really great. And, and uh, I ended up working with Walter and doing 14 movies with Walter. Um, Mm -hmm. The next one I did with him was Southern Comfort. And that was like, uh soldiers out in the swamps keith carradine, keith is carradine in- and uh and uh powers booth powers booth
0: and so ne- the next thing you were doing you were in the swamp
1: and then literally we were in- then we were in the swamps
0: Up put down the hills the mountain. Now, now you're in the swamp
1: No, in it- the swamps that was yeah. all home level no no hills at all. no hills just swamped and, again all that camaraderie with the guys and uh really exciting and then Moved on with Walter to Forty Eight Hours, which was great working with him because it was actually a movie that uh, a lot of people saw and a lot of people liked. It was a big hit. And Hours with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy, it was Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy's first movie. Eddie Murphy's first movie. And uh, he was known
0: for Saturday Night Live he only. That Saturday right?
1: Night Live, and he was, you know, it was great. Eddie was Eddie had a lot of pressure on him because people didn't know if he was going to be a movie star or not. He did become one, and. Uh, you know and we shot up in san francisco for some time and i do remember one of the things that was so great about that I was, we're standing on this hillside in san francisco it was the sun was shining the wind was blowing um i had one only one person to watch out for in this one scene and that was a dead body that was lying on a park bench with a little <laughs> hole in his forehead yeah and i looked around and just it was beautiful there's alcatraz island off you know in yeah. back, and uh I couldn't believe they were actually paying me. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
0: that was that moment.
1: That was that moment. And over the course of 35 years, I, re- I got to the point where I felt like I did deserve to be paid. Um, <laughs> but I also uh, worked on this little movie by Steven Spielberg called E.T. Right. And so that was pretty exciting when, when uh, right. in 1983, then um, um, from the end of eighty two and into eighty three, I had forty eight hours and uh E T both with my name on them that were out there. So that was pretty exciting. You know, I learned by doing um people had had faith in uh in my abilities as they saw them and I was given the chance to advance. And I sort of you know, I didn't go to any uh costume design school or anything like that. What I brought with me from my studies in literature was an ability to um, research and a sense of story Mm -hmm. and if there's uh if costume designers have there's a pendulum that goes from fashion to story and i'm way over on the story side Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. didn't have much to to, uh distinguish myself on the fashion side but i was way on the on the story side and felt that like in my own little uh rice bowl of the costumes i could advance the story and and, Mm -hmm and help to teach uh teach the story well let's
0: talk about it i mean there's a a number of really great design experiences that you had they might have been a grueling but they were great design outcomes for example geronimo that's when we got engaged yes (laughs) by the way everybody That That's isn't. how I relate to this. Yeah. At Geronimo, we got engaged,
1: but yeah, and I relate to the fact that you came to visit and I slept the whole weekend. It was so <laughs> grueling and exhausting. Yes, it was. But Geronimo was the was the great chief of the Apaches as as the Apaches were finally being brought under control by the United States Cavalry, and from the very beginning, um, Walter Hill's idea with that was that we would valorize equally, the Apaches and the U.S. cavalry in this battle, uh, you know, uh, and, um, uh, and there was, there was Geronimo, this great chief of the Apaches who really had to preside over the end of his, the end of his, uh, 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 tribe's freedom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was just a, it's a very sad story in its way and, and, uh, but a wonderful story. And, uh, Great actors. We had great, Gene Hackman played a, a cavalry general, and Robert Duvall played a played a uh, cavalry uh, cavalry scout uh-huh. um, who uh, led the, cal, the, the cavalry. Jason Patrick was the lead cavalryman. There's a young actor who gave up his last semester at Harvard in order to join us, and that was Matt Damon.
0: Matt Damon.
1: And Matt Matt got a free uh, uh, course in acting from Robert Duvall because oftentimes they would be sitting on horses next to each other.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh really?
1: That's right to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and Matt has uh, said that he learned a lot about acting from acting with, uh, Robert Duvall on that, on that movie. And Wes Studi played Geronimo. I and he was why. great. And He was wonderful. He really? Was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's the, you know, if I had to choose, uh, one or two movies that I was involved with, that would be up there at the top. And, and maybe on the other side of the Westerns was, uh, Jeff Bridges as Wild Bill Hickok. Oh, Wild Bill. And, uh, Wild Bill was kind of the inventor of the cult of celebrity. And he played a lot of roles in his, in his, uh, career as a celebrity. And that was great for me because he got to be somebody different in, in, everything that he tried. And I got to make him look like something different in everything that he tried. So it was really, it was, it was super.
0: How did you start that conversation? How did you develop those different sides of Wild Bill with Jeff Bridges, with the actor?
1: Oh. Well, it, it, all, it all goes to the script and the story. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Wild Bill was many things. He was a gunfighter, he was a buffalo hunter, he was a sheriff, he was a gambler, he was a performer in uh, both circuses and in uh, in uh, uh, Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West show. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he was a guy that walked around with a target on his back because he, had, he was such a great gunfighter and had, uh, had uh, killed so many people, people were always out to kill him, uh-huh. and that uh, wears on. A, that wears on a person, and I think Jeff showed that, and showed the way that he, from a young guy, and then uh, to be an old man, enormously talented, but also just really a wonderful, wonderful person, and uh, it, was, it was great to see the example that he that he uh, created for the for the other actors and for the, for all of us on the crew.
0: You've worked with so many actors and a lot with um, I mean just a long list of you know a-list actors, but there, there's something very special about.
1: Well, the thing about dude. Hugh was this was this was for X-Men 3, and Hugh had been uh, had been working on Broadway as the, the boy from Oz and had really lost a lot of weight and lost a lot of muscle and all that and had um, but he had to build himself back up to play Wolverine in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, X-Men 3 and he got there and every morning and he, he'd been working out ever since he was finished on Broadway but then he came back and he still had a long way to go. So he'd be on set every morning at 4 a.m. working out with his trainer mm-hmm. so that he could then you know get ready and get all the um, uh, the uh, prosthetics and everything that are involved in, in his character of Wolverine and then work a 12-hour day and lead uh, lead the actors, you know, um, X-Men three, a lot of the actors were younger cause it was the, you know, the, the, uh, um, mutant Academy and all that. And so they were, um, they, they actually, they needed to be led and Hugh led them. And if he, and he came, he kept that energy up the entire yeah. time and just kind of, sort of carried the entire movie on his back. It was really great and inspiring to see that. Oftentimes, the crew would be inspired by the actors, and there's a perfect example of that.
0: Well, you won an Emmy. Um, let's talk about that and what it was for and how it came about.
1: Well, I started, you know, with a, working on a lot of movies at the beginning. Usually, Typically, people might work their way up from TV to movies, and a lot of actors do that. Um, but I started out with some pretty great movies, like we've already talked about The Long Riders and 48 Hours. I went to television and worked on a series, and uh, it was the series for CBS uh, that was called The Magnificent Seven. It was based on uh, the movie The Magnificent Seven. And again, uh, oftentimes in, uh, in uh, the movie business or show business or in human life, uh, you don't know how exciting and wonderful things are until you look back on them.
0: Oh yeah,
1: and, and uh, we were on uh, Magnificent Seven, and it was, a, it was it was a pretty busy show because you didn't have one or two stars, you had seven or eight, because mm-hmm. uh, there was the Magnificent Seven and their girlfriend. But it was really, really a, a, a tough, tough, demanding show, and had a great crew, and we just kept working at it, and banging away at it, and it was hard, and it was hot in the summer and cold in the winter, and rainy all the time. And, uh, but we got through it. And uh, so the about halfway through the second season, the Emmy nominations came along for the previous season. And I was shocked to find out that I had uh, been nominated for an Emmy. And it was, I think it was because it was uh, because it was had so many characters in it, and they were all kind of equal, and they all had to get like a lot of attention paid to them um that i think it was easier to win something when you're doing doing something that's got that much you know that much to look at
0: uh-huh
1: uh-huh, and, uh, uh-huh. so i was lucky in that regard and we went to uh, to the emmy um ceremonies and um sure enough we won and you were wearing a beautiful red dress i was <laughs> and those, those are the days in uh, the late 90s when uh Everyone was wearing black all the time, except you were wearing a beautiful red dress. I was. And so the camera stayed on you. That's right. <laughs> and I'm really grateful to have won the Emmy and uh, was nominated the following year again and did not win. And so the one Hollywood myth that I can kind of puncture is when you hear you know, everyone talking about what a great honor it is just to be nominated, I can tell you it's better to
0: win. Now the next piece of this that we really do want to get to so the journey with Angel Lady, how did you become involved with Angel Lady because I wrote the script over 30 years ago and had been here there and everywhere with a number of different producers it was laying quiet in a drawer but how did how did you become involved?
1: Well we you know showbiz in the 90s and in the aughts uh, kind of shifted a lot a lot of shooting shifted down towards louisiana yeah and um i worked on a few movies beginning in 1980 and then again in 1988 and then you became faster than that and uh, so we were in and out of louisiana several times and uh, we were it was getting toward further on in the career, and 2012 rolled around, and we were in Louisiana after having been there a few times. And uh, I was working on a big movie that uh, uh, took several months, and finally, around around Memorial Day of that year, 2012, we finished that movie, and we never really went back to Los Angeles to live because we. Decided if we were going to make a movie that was set in the Cajun culture, we should go out to Cajun country, in uh, the prairie, halfway across Louisiana, halfway between New Orleans and Houston, and find uh, find that culture out there in Acadiana.
0: I want people to know it's a and Crowley is a very enchanting, yeah. w- wonderful little town.
1: Yeah, and it was, it's kind of like the the cultural center of uh, of Acadiana, mm-hmm. and uh, we found some great people out there
0: yeah.
1: uh, to partner with us and to help us. Uh, we had an idea that not only would it be great to shoot out there in this little town, but that we could probably get it financed out there too, because we knew that people would want to, pitch in and and join up and and they liked the idea of it they just didn't like the idea of financing it no and so we were there and we worked on it for about six or eight months Mm -hmm. and uh, had lots of adventures one was judging the little miss crowley contest of six-year-olds six pageant for six-year-olds uh which was exactly the wrong thing for us to do because if there's if there's 30 contestants, then you've got 29 families that are mad at you, and, <laughs> and only one family that likes you. That's right. So, Why did we say yes? yes. Uh, so that that was a poor uh, a poor choice, but even more uh, harrowing than that was, um, I was working out my uh, some of my nervous energy about trying to get this movie up and running by riding my bike out in the out in the countryside. And I would be riding along and uh, it was great. I mean, it was great exercise and really enjoyed being out there. And they had I could see how the rice was growing. And but also the farms out there in the countryside around Crowley didn't really have fences the way we were accustomed to, like in Los Angeles and places like that. Um, So the farm dogs, the local farm dogs would come in packs and uh, and chase me. and
0: uh like a pack
1: yeah of farm like a pack dogs of them and there i was just like pedaling harder and harder uh, <laughs> trying to save my life and then one of our uh, local advisors said well you just need to get one of those super soaker uh, uh water pistols and fill it with bleach and shoot the bleach at them and luckily we <laughs> thought about that before instituting that that uh that uh, uh strategy because yeah. we didn't want to end up in the local newspapers as hollywood producers uh, abusing local dogs <laughs> but uh, it was it was a pretty harrowing experience we ran out of money for the first time uh for the movie and i had to go find a job i was lucky enough to find a job in new orleans on dawn of the planet of the apes uh. and continue my costuming career mm-hmm. um, even though we were really focused on getting this movie done mm-hmm. and that was 10 years ago i designed two movies that rob reiner shot in Louisiana, yeah. uh, LBJ and Woody uh,
0: Harrelson. Woody yeah. Harrelson is LBJ. It
1: was, a, it was a challenge because, uh, we had to we had to get these really high shoes for him to make him seem more imposing like, uh, like LBJ. And it wasn't particularly comfortable for him. And he had a lot of, uh, makeup that he was wearing and it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. And, mm-hmm. uh, but it was, a, it was a good movie. And I was really happy to, to get to do it and happy to work with Rob Reiner and even happier that he came back the following year and made another movie called Shock and Awe about the way the press uh, treated uh, uh, the march to the uh, war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And that was Woody Harrelson again mm-hmm. and uh, James Marsden and Tommy Lee Jones and uh, you know, uh, great actors. So I went, had a, a really good time working with Rob. and. Uh, the last minute, one of the actors didn't show, didn't uh, uh, fulfill his uh, obligation to be in the movie, so our director Rob Reiner had to had to replace him. All this happened over a weekend, so that was kind of thrills and spells. Sure, it, it was worth it. It was a great experience.
0: Well, let's talk about no, no the Angel Lady.
1: Felt it was time to to kind of re reboot what we mm-hmm. had. Mm-hmm. and we were lucky enough to find an old friend of ours who was willing to be our director, uh, Edgar Pablos. That's
0: right. He, Edgar's the reboot.
1: Edgar's the reboot, and, yeah, also, that's a great and also it took us a, a, year, a couple of years to realize what we really had in Edgar and right. that we could reboot not only with him as director but and reset the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's always been about angels, but it hasn't always been about where it's ended up. And, and now it's ended up near the border with Mexico and in that Mexican-American environment. And it's uh, kind of really settled into being what it was always meant to be. We're so happy that we have Edgar with us and that yeah. Edgar uh, lent his, his, uh, his culture to us to shoot <laughs> it that way. And uh, we're as ready as, as we can possibly be. One of the notes you gave me was, what is the message of Angel Lady? Mm-hmm. Well, the message is, angels are everywhere and they've been with us every step of the way. And we've had a few, um, actually, we've had a few, I guess, setbacks or disappointments along the way. And every time something is kind of just dis- something discouraging has happened along the way, something much better <laughs> has jumped into place. Right. Yeah, that's and right. That's, that's what's been great for us. And now we're, we we're working with possible partners in finding um, just the right leading lady. And we've got a number of candidates for that part. Mm-hmm. We're just going to find the one that works out the very best for us. When I look at the 10 actresses we have, they all bring something different uh-huh. to, the, to the party. And uh, and that's going to be the the hard work of making good decisions, of, uh, of who's going to very be the very best and best in body um, the great story that we have.
0: Great. Yeah. Why is it important to do this?
1: Well, I like to think I've learned something along the way.
0: Yeah. Um, um,
1: the movie business as, as a whole is, is kind of siloed. Everyone's in their own little world with their own little responsibilities that are really important and contribute to the success of the whole. <clears throat> but I'd like to think that in working with really good filmmakers, and working on some really good movies for a long time, that I've learned a little bit along the way, and just want to kind of bring all those things together, all those experiences together, and uh, and just kind of cap my ex- experience in the movie business, which is over 35 years, and uh, and bring uh, bring something of our own uh, to the world. And, yeah. I'm lucky enough to be married to a, an extremely gifted screenwriter. And, uh, and, and I want to do my part and uh, what I've learned along the way in, to bring that movie to the rest of the world. Yeah. Not just the movie we've seen in our minds, but uh, the movie that we're going to see in theaters and at home.
0: Yeah, yes, yes. Well, let's do that. And happy anniversary, honey.
1: Same to you, baby.
0: Dan Moore. Uh, Sheridan Film Company.
1: <laughs> the cherry, I'm the Dan.
0: Yeah. All right. Bye, darling. Thank you.
1: Over the course of this interview, and over the, over the course of this of this discussion, it's occurred to me that there are a lot of blissful moments along the way. Yeah. Just the latest.